We have seen the gates of heaven open and the great cockerel, the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation 19.11, come riding forth upon a white war stallion, leading the armies of heaven. The marriage of the Lamb is over in Revelation 19.7. And the supper of the Lamb of the great reception has come to a close, and he is leading his bride with him on his honeymoon. What a scene as he brings her back to, to our old home where the battle of the ages has been fought by the believers in Christ. The scripture says that his feet will touch this earth on Mount Olivet, that Jerusalem, the mountain from which he returned back to heaven 40 days after his resurrection. During the seven years of the tribulation, the marriage of the Lamb and the reception are in progress in heaven. God has been rightening this world under judgment as the wrath of God and of the Lamb has been poured out upon Christless humanity. He has set it about to break rebellion. And slowly but surely, he's been closing in on Satan, his world order, his great society, and his great world religion. As the Lord Jesus rides forth from heaven, the cities of the nations crumble and fall, as we found in that 16th chapter. And they're buried beneath the surface of the earth. The great city of Babylon comes in remembrance before God. So Revelation 19, uh, 17, 18. When she falls and is buried in a briny sea. And this destruction and awful ruin will stand as a memorial through the centuries of the manifestation of God's wrath against sin and idolatry. At the same time, the mountains disappear and the islands flee away, bringing about a complete change of the earth's surface in preparation for the coming of the king and the setting up of his kingdom. In preparation for the final overthrow of all rebellion, God has turned Satan loose to gather all the armies of the nations together and concentrate his rebellious forces at the sight of Christ's return According to Revelation 16, 13, listen. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. These devil agents have gone throughout the entire breadth of the earth working devil miracles. The scripture for the states and of the whole world, not only did they visit the courts of the kings, but these emissaries, Satan of Satan, visit the whole world, every public place, every school, every social gathering, every scientific center. As they touch individuals in every corner of the world, they perform their miracles of calling fire down from heaven, healing the sick, raising the dead, causing the image of the beast to speak, and so on. But whatever thy miracles, they performed their one message. Get it now, hold it. Wherever they went, was it Christ, the Son of God, is coming back to this earth to upset, unupseat, and destroy our great society. And we must beat him and kill him. We must get rid of him. We cannot have this man to rule over us. I wish you could see, my friends, that all religious experiences 
are not of the Lord. As a result of this great spiritual movement, the kings of the earth and of the whole habitable world believe their message and with one mind work toward one purpose and one aim. What is it? The Lord Jesus Christ must not come back to this earth. You modernist, you modernist, you liberals are trying every way in the world right now to keep Christ from coming back to this earth. But he's coming. You who have been brought up in the devout reverence for the one true God are wondering, how can they make everybody believe a lie? In all their messages and oracles, they declare the invincibility and all-powerfulness of the beast. They say, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Who can conquer him? Uh, did he not rise from the dead? They look upon him and declare him to be Almighty God himself because he has set himself up in the temple as God. They reviewed his whole past life in this manner. Look what he's done. He's literally destroyed every vestige of Christianity. He has vanquished every Christian, destroyed every Bible, every Christian library. Who can stand against him? They reasoned with the kings and the commoner. If the Lord Jesus Christ were all-powerful, as these Christians say he is, why has he not come forth and manifested his power? Every one of his followers, as far as we know, have been put to death. They talked about victory. They talked about conquering. They talked about Almighty God Jehovah. But see where they are now. Where is their God? Why? He's been relegated to the scrap heap of oblivion. That's what you modernists are saying today. Surely we can kill his son. Not only have these emissaries gone forth in person to rally the kings and armies and the mighty men of the earth to move into Palestine to meet the Son of God, but they have exploited all the syndicated news media of the earth for the greatest worldwide coverage ever known, focusing attention on the great international effort every hour of the day. The television pictured the preparations, the radios blared the latest news, and the headlines of every newspaper called on people to rally behind the armies of the earth to make this final stand, to clear this earth once and for all of the Christ. They're determined, we must not, we will not have this man, Christ Jesus, to rule over us. Can't you imagine the frenzy? Of that scene, can't you see the kings giving orders and the armies of the earth being moved by jet plane and boat? Can't you see the armies of the east marching westward to Palestine and the Euphrates River dried up for their march? Can't you see supplies being transported, the camp set up, the arsenals erected and outfitted? Can't you see the newsmen from every country getting ready their microphones and television equipment set up, making preparations in advance? by every means at hand to notify the inhabitants under the great international government of the Antichrist, of every detail of the great battle that will end all battles and bring peace on earth and put an end to Christianity forever and forever. I imagine I can see them now as the armies are being marshaled. They are taking their place in places in the land of Palestine. They have every implement of warfare every missile conceived by the imagination of man. I can see the commanders of the armies under the direction of the Antichrist 
placing the cannons, pointing them toward the eastern skies where Christ is expected to appear. Let me tell you something, friend. Satan believes the Bible. He believes the book of Revelation. He knows that the book of Revelation is true, and he knows it is going to be literally fulfilled. You so-called great men of learning, who, with your depraved masterminds, try to explain away the book of Revelation. That's a trick of Satan, blinding your mind so that you'll not believe what God says. Today, Satan is raising up his prophets and prophetesses as well as uh, prognosticators in thousands of pulpits and public circles to deceive the minds of the people of the world to keep them from believing God's word. Let's look again at the battlefield in the plains of Esdreeland. Millions upon millions of soldiers from every nation on earth are assembled there in the land of Palestine. They have been uh, recruited by the three unclean spirits from the satanic trinity and called out by the kings of the earth who have given their allegiance to the Antichrist. They believe he has such power over the forces of nature because they have seen him call down fire from heaven, heal the sick, raise the dead. They know how they have learned down to the last soldier how to strengthen and sustain themselves by the spiritual influence given them by the Antichrist, which gives them far greater power than any mere human ability. They believe, as they have been under the indoctrination of the three evil spirits, that the Antichrist is invincible, and they cry, Who can make war with him? Let the rider of the white horse come forth. Let him be supported by the armies of heaven. With a life of scorn, they say, Ha! In his lifetime, he might have performed miracles, but with our combined efforts and power with the Antichrist, we will conquer. What a delusion! According to Second Thessalonians 2, 9, 12, a delusion that the world has never before known and never will again. And we are entering in that delusion now. Believe the lie and march to their doom. So the armies of the earth go forth with one mind and one accord with a zeal that is indescribable and under a hail seal compact with Satan to make war with the Lamb. Worldwide demonstrators march and sing and chant the war cry. Down with him! Kill him! Amid the rabble soldiers, incited with the lust of battle, I hear a shout, Oh, how I hate him! Let me get the first shot at him! And his friends shout, shout back, No! Let me be the one to kill him! They are voicing the culmination of the utter hatred, rebellion, and revenge of the entire earth against the Son of God and his authority over them. The psalmist expresses it in these words. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. This is the expression of the heart's desire of the whole human race that once and for all they would be free from the responsibility of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone said to an infidel one day, why don't you let the Bible alone, sir? You don't believe it? His reply was, the Bible won't let me alone. I said you mean, why don't you let Christ alone? You can't. It's because he's your Lord, and they and you cannot let him alone. Christ is your Lord. Whether you're saved or lost, whether you go to heaven or hell, 
and you'll meet him here and crown him Lord and find mercy for your soul, or you'll meet him at the judgment bar of God and there crown him Lord where there's no mercy and be cast into the lake of fire. Now, as we've seen briefly, the earthly scene, the kings and rulers of the earth under the leadership of the Antichrist making ready to battle it out with the Lamb. And we see what deceived, deluded fools men are. Let's look at God's attitude toward them. What is God's attitude toward this whole uh, situation? He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision, contempt. And God that sitteth in the heavens, looking at that earthly scene, shall laugh. Who can plumb the depths of that laugh? Who can understand the dread significance, significance of that laugh? The believer standing in the presence of the eternal God comes to know somewhat of the depths of that eternal being in his great love for his soul in Christ Jesus his Lord. He knows something of that sacrifice for redemption. He knows something of the grace of God that has wept and died for sinners. But when God laughs, what mortal man can endure the fire burning in his bones? It's, it is the absence of love. It is the exhaustion of grace. It is the depression of mercy. God's laughter is the withdrawal of all tenderness and kindness and affection from the heart of God as he looks upon that scene of rebellious humanity that has crossed the deadline and sealed their doom for an, for an eternal lake of fire. There is nothing left for God to do but to laugh. And he beholds the confederation of all the kings of the earth with the beast in their intention to destroy his son. What an expression of sovereign contempt expressed here toward a world of mankind who have rebelled against the true sovereign of the universe. On the one hand, we see the whole of mankind despising the one they've rejected who is riding forth on the white horse from the open heaven to meet the armies of the nations numbering million yonder in the valley of Megiddo. There in the heavens sits God the Father laughing in unveiled contempt as he waits the results of that battle between his son, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Antichrist. What a scene. In the midst of this scene, John said in verse 17, get it now, verse 17, I saw an angel stand in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of the heaven, Come, gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. These words were spoken by the angel before the battle ever takes place. In the great providence of God, arrangements were being made to dispense or dispose of the bodies of the slain. God was not going to even give them a decent burial. Are you beginning to understand better why God laughs? This is the last remnant of Satan's great society, world orders, and world religion with all false worshipers. The voice of this angel was heard around the world as he called all the vultures of the entire earth to the supper of the great God. Not the great supper, but the supper of the great God. It is evening time now, and the sun in, in, the, in the sand, in the hourglass, is running out. The sun is setting. Night is falling upon the world as such. But for God's people, the day is breaking. So the angel issues the mighty call to all the beasts of prey to make haste and come to the supper of the great God. Here we have the contrast 
between the supper of the Lamb, verse 7, and the supper of the great God, verse 17. Listen to Revelation 19, 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Blessed are they which are called in the marriage supper of the Lamb. That supper was in heaven. That supper was in honor of the Lamb with his bride. That supper was attended by all the redeemed of heaven, including the angels, with God the Father, God the Son, who is the Lamb, and God the Holy Spirit. What a majestic scene. What a scene of solemnity. What a scene of joy and gladness. What a scene of hallelujahs. In contrast to the supper of the Lamb, we hear the angels standing in the sun, or on the sun, and calling the vultures of the earth to the supper of the great God. What a scene! The kings of earth, the Lord of lords, riding forth from heaven, the open heaven, with his armies following him. The millions of the armies of the earth covering the land of Palestine, without a vulture of the earth winging its way toward that land for that great, for that supper of the great God. That supper we are told in Revelation 19:18, the flesh of kings and, and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. The word flesh is mentioned five times in this one verse. The world has wanted flesh, 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 all the pleasures and lusts that go with flesh, human flesh. Now that is what God's giving them. Then in verse 19, John says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together, to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. I imagine that even before they look up and, and see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ on the great white stallion, the entire army, including kings, mighty men of war, newsmen, as well as the onlookers, were, are made to feel and to know the awfulness of that scene of incoming vultures, which has always been to man an ill omen. What dread and woe, what damnation hangs over them. I imagine every heart and mind begins to weaken, and they whisper each other, what does this all mean? The outskirts of the camps are being filled with the vultures of the air. We are hemmed in with the birds of prey. Are these vultures, as these vultures, as these vultures dart through the heavens above, swooping down, then flying away, then where there were just a few, now there are swarms. The army stands trembling. And in, in their boots, fear creeps over their hearts. Some become, begin to panic. The anxiety spreads from the battlefield to the newsmen. The television cameras send the pictures of these birds of prey around the earth. What all, what uneasiness spreads like contagion over the entire world, which helps bring terrifying shock to the remaining inhabitants of the earth. Brother, that's going to be an awful scene. I wish I could describe it as I feel it, as I see it. In the midst of this scene of swarming vultures, the eyes of the millions are now turned upward, and they watch the Son of God come forth from the open heaven, having eyes as a flame of fire, his head crowned with a crown of glory, his clothes having the appearance of being dipped in blood, and having the name of King of Kings and Lord of Lords, flashing across his thigh and across his, his vesture and a sharp sword protruding from his mouth. They are so stricken with all. Not a gun is fired. 
Not an airplane leaves the ground. Not a missile is dropped from the planes in the air. Not a sword is drawn from a scabbard. Not even a gun raised to the shoulder. The whole army stands in consternation as the Lord God of heaven continues to approach toward the earth with his armies following him. Then according to God's prophetic word, his feet rest upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come! We cry, we wait for that hour. He lands, as it were, on the Mount of Olives, just as the messengers in Acts 1.11 said, This same Jesus, which has taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as you have seen him go into heaven. That day, as the disciples stood on Mount Olivet and watched the Lord ascend back into heaven, and a cloud received him out of their sight, so the world watched him come back with the clouds of the redeemed of heaven, and his feet again touched Mount Olivet. What a glorious day! What a glorious moment! The world has been waiting for that day. Believers have prayed for that day. The church has all but lost his hope that he would return, but every true believer has prayed. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So on this day, that prophecy is fulfilled. Here stands the Lord Jesus Christ again on Mount Olivet. And he is standing there with his disciples. Because he said he would come in like manner as he went away. He went away in bodily form. He returns in bodily form. He went away in a cloud. He returns in a cloud. He went away with his disciples, from his disciples. He'll return with his disciples. Yes, our Lord returns in glory and splendor, but he returns in an orderly way. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. His disciples are there with him. Old Daniel is there with him. David is there with him. His bride is there with him. Michael the archangel is there with him. Old Gabriel, who announced his birth, is standing by his side. Old John the Baptist, who said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world is standing by his side. All the host of heaven are there. What an array of heavenly beings. Now he faces that mighty army. Watch him. For the first time he comes face to face, the Antichrist and the false prophet. To the world they've been invincible. To the world they've been unconquered. To the world they're gods. To the world they're mighty miracle workers. To the world who can make war with them and overcome them. But listen to the word of God. Listen. Listen. Revelation 19.20 And the beast was taken. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. It is our greater David meeting the giant Goliath. Here stands the resurrected Antichrist, the resurrected false prophet Judas's character. And it says the Lord Jesus took takes them. He arrests them, takes them as prisoners. He doesn't kill them. But listen, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. The Lord Jesus Christ takes these two alive, takes them alive, and casts them into the lake of fire. That's the end of the Antichrist as far as this earth is concerned. Not a gun's been fired. Not a weapon's been lifted. The atmospheric heavens continue to swarm with vultures. The kings of the earth, with all the mighty men, all the newsmen, behold the Lamb of God. Yes, they behold him. Yes, they see him as he lifts these those hands and lays hold on those prisoners. They see the nail-scarred hands. They behold the lamb slain. They behold the man Christ Jesus, whom they would not have to reign over them. And they see how helpless the Antichrist and the false prophet are in his presence. Yes, sir. 
Now they, they, the veil begins to fall from their eyes and they see what fools they are. But it's too late when once Christ has disposed of the leaders, the beast and the false prophets, he turns and with one, one, one mighty glance of those piercing eyes looks over that vast army. And as the scripture says in Revelation 19:21, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. That sword is his piercing judgment. And with one sweep of the sword, the whole land is filled with the slain of the Lord. Every implement of warfare is still in its place. Every airplane crashes to the ground. And what a crash. Every horse with its rider falls under the piercing sword of judgment that goeth forth from the mouth of the Son of God. What a day of slaughter! What a day of vengeance! This is the day of the vengeance of God Almighty! Yes, all the strength of the nations is dashed to fragments before him as pottery is struck with a rod of iron. This is the fulfillment of Daniel 2.35 regarding the stone from the eternal mounting uh, that falls on the great statue of the world's power and grinds it to powder, which can never again be regathered. This brings to an eternally in Satan's great society, Satan's world orders, and the worship of Satan. Praise God by his grace. I can wait for this hour. It's coming. Our Lord will return. He must return. I wait for His coming. And then he, we close with this thought, Revelation nineteen twenty one. And all the fowls were filled with our flesh. What a supper of the great God when that, uh, that when that when the armies lie dead in their blood. We are told in Revelation fourteen twenty. And the wine press was trodden without the city. The blood flows for a space of a thousand six hundred furlongs. Or nearly 175 miles. What a river of blood. Our Lord Jesus Christ stands on Mount Olivet as complete conqueror. The great conqueror of the universe stands there. Conqueror. Conqueror. I'm glad I belong to him. He's saved me. I'll be there with him. Will you?